0: Welcome back to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and with me today, I am delighted to welcome Rachel Langer. Rachel, welcome to my show.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I'm so excited to talk to Rachel today because, for one thing, she's the author of this wonderful book called Until Now, and we'll talk more about it and the title a little bit later. But uh, Rachel and I were introduced by one of, I think it's both of our favorite coaches, Steve Chandler. Steve was a guest on my podcast uh, in an earlier episode, number eight, if you want to check that one out. Um, But Steve is just a remarkable person. And I knew when he said, you need to meet Rachel, I was all in. (laughs) So Rachel is a professional coach. She works with individuals as well as uh, in the corporate world, teams and executives and couples. And she, one of the things that appealed to me, Rachel, about who you are and what you do is that you offer practical solutions and that's what people are looking for these days um, and she has previous experience in the business world working with attorneys in a law firms and then she decided she wanted a real change and went and pursued her master's in spiritual psychology at the university of santa monica so In your coaching, Rachel, I'm guessing you get to combine that left brain, right brain experience to um, help clients produce some amazing results. So uh, before we get into the details and some of the questions I have from your book, though, tell us a little bit about your journey from the business world to becoming a coach. Sure. Thanks. Um,
1: Yeah, I definitely started out... uh, in, I would say, business, corporate, law firms, et cetera. Um, And I was much more on the administrative and on the organizational side. Um, I'm just a kind of naturally organized person and a doer. So that was a good fit for me. But what I noticed over time and kind of over years was that my office, no matter what my role was in various different jobs and companies, my office would always be the place that people ended up when they had a problem or a question. And those, those were my favorite parts of my day, of my various jobs, and my various positions, was getting to talk to people about whatever was going on in their world. It might be, you know, a problem at work, something, you know, an actual work problem with the project they were having, or an interpersonal problem with a colleague, might have even been a problem with, you know, something at home, a family issue. But whatever it was, it was, everybody ended up in my office. And I was like, that's, that's the best part of my day, is when that's happening. And, uh, so I decided that, well, what if I just did that? How could I just have that be my job and not do all the other stuff, which I also liked, but how could I just do that? And so that's how I got, um, in the coaching direction. And actually it was while I was helping a friend, uh, start a nonprofit organization, um, out here in California that I met a a friend of his who went to the University of Santa Monica. And I don't know about you, but every once in a while you meet someone and they have a certain something about them and you're like, I just want some of that. Like whatever he's got, I want some of that. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up talking to this fellow and he was a coach and he had gone to the University of Santa Monica. And so I learned a bit about it and and that kind of got me going in that direction. But until that time, it was, um, you know, spirituality. And as you said, kind of the intuitive side of things was nowhere in my vocabulary. That was a whole new world for me.
0: Well, and and you've been uh, coaching since, is it 2011? When did you start your coaching practice? Yeah.
1: So I would say um, officially my own business where I wasn't working at any other companies 2014, but I was coaching kind of on the side. I was one of those, like, I need to keep my real job and have money, right? And have an income and figure out what I'm doing. So yeah, 2010, 2011.
0: Well, in your book, one of the things I liked is, you know, it's a, it's, one of the topics you cover in it is around spirituality, but you're not talking about religion, um, whether it's organized or not. Um, but it was interesting, this whole concept of, you know, and I loved your questions at the very end on, you know, think about what is it you do believe? Yeah. And uh, of course, some of the work that I've been doing on myself over the last few years have to do with what are some of the beliefs I've thought were true? And then they get blown up yeah. <laughs> as I really examine them. And I think in your role as a coach, you do that a lot as far as getting someone to examine a thought or a feeling or, or strongly held beliefs that they have. And when you see them getting stuck, what are some of the things in terms of questions or guiding that you do to help them move from that place of being stuck?
1: Yeah. Oh, it's a, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, the idea of questions, I think, is, is really important and really powerful. And um, my father is a scientist. And growing up as a child, you know, a lot of people have stories. We'd come home to the dinner table and, what'd you do today? Or what'd you get on your math test or whatever? And I didn't get that. Me and my sisters did not get that. We got, the question we got from my dad was, who asked a good question in school today?
0: Whoa. What,
1: what question did you ask in school today? That's, that's the question we got every day at dinner. And so it taught me about the power of questions. And what's interesting as a coach to me about questions is that it's not actually so important that you know the answer to the question. The important and powerful thing is that you're willing to ask the question. You're willing to be curious. You're willing to be open to what the answer may be. So a lot of times when I encounter people who are stuck or even I myself am stuck, which of course happens, getting back to what do I believe? What am I thinking about this? What what am I making real about what's happening? And is that true? Is it real? Because of course, I'm living in my reality, you're living in yours, everybody's living in their own reality. And my experience is a construct of my thinking and you know what I'm making up and how I see things and how I interpret and understand the world. But if I'm willing to question that at any moment, well, then things shift and change as they must, right? A question itself, no matter what the answer is, even just the question is like a chink in the armor, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, so Leonard Cohen said, I know it's one of Steve's favorite quotes, right? There's a crack and that's where the light gets in. So it's like, even just asking the question sometimes can be the way into a change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've experienced that myself with a, a good coach who can kind of... Uh, shake you up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With, with a question like that because you're so into your quote truth at that moment right in terms of what you're seeing that it hasn't occurred to you that what right. you're thinking yeah or believing could be off base yeah
1: it comes up a lot um with money people want money you know i need more money or i want to make more money or i don't have enough money and it's like well wh- why do you want money well, everybody needs money. Well, sure. Okay. We need to eat. You know, we want to pay our rent or our mortgage, or we have to make a car payment or put gas in our car or whatever. But okay. What, I mean, lots of people don't have very much money at all and they're just fine. And lots of people have tons of money and they're miserable. So why, why do you want money? What does money mean to you? What are you going to do with it? Why is it important to you? And th- th- I'm always surprised how people have never thought of that, right? You say, everybody just wants money. Mm. It's like, Trust me, I love money too, but it's like, I know what I want to do with it. I know what it means to me. And I definitely know what it does not mean to me. So it's like anything, any topic, it seems the most mundane. Why would you want that? What are you going to do with it? Why is it important to you? Why do you think you need it? Why do you think you need that number? Why is that number important versus this other number, right? Numbers are neutral. It's Whatever meaning we put on it is the meaning, but a number itself is neutral. So... I had a I had a conversation, I had two calls with different clients in the same day, this was several years ago, and one person said, you know, I just want to have X amount of dollars. If I just had that, I would feel secure, I would be ready. If I just had $10,000 in the bank, I would feel good. And the next client came in and said, oh, I only have $10,000, I'm broke, it's a disaster. I mean, and it was it was, it was literally the exact same number they said, and one person was elated, and one person was terrified by that number. So that's the way it is it's all what we make of it
0: that is such a great example because it is so true we we hold these thoughts that then cause us to draw conclusions and then we behave and operate on those conclusions (laughs) without stopping to think what's behind it yeah so I, i love that I do it Well, too. yes, as you know, the folks that are listening to this, some of them are coaches, consultants themselves, right, right. and uh, in other kinds of helping professionals, and they're really good at asking questions of other people. But one of the things that I think is so nice with what I do here is they're getting to think about how does this apply to me? and and look yeah. at their own lives in addition to how my, might I use this in my business or with my own clients. So it uh, right. I, I love that this conversation can serve multiple purposes with yeah. them. Um, because I think sometimes we're tempted to take at face value what mm-hmm. someone says, and not because we're just have it ingrained in us to be nice. You know, don't, Don't um, challenge somebody's thinking. And yet that's what a really good coach does. It's why we pay to work with them because they will push us to go beyond what we would normally want to do. Yeah. Um, There are some concepts that I want to get into um, from your book. And one I think is universal to everybody. This idea of being paralyzed by fear Mm. And that keeps us from taking action. And I loved the example you gave in that chapter about the writing of your book. Mm. So, would you talk a little bit about how do we work through fear and move to take action?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what's important to know about fear is that there's just no escaping it. This idea of, you know, being fearless, and I don't. I think it's an incredibly rare person and certainly for most people an incredibly rare experience to be fearless it can happen but to me the goal is not to be fearless the goal is to recognize and understand our fear be okay with it and then do whatever we need to do anyway right that's what courage is courage isn't doing something you're not afraid of courage is doing something you are afraid of so um, for me uh, what you brought up about writing the book i had kind of told everyone i'm going to write a book i'm going to do this project and I mean, I never wrote a book before. I hadn't written anything since my last, you know, paper in college. So I, it, it was, it was debilitatingly terrifying. And for literally months, I I carried around my notebook and my pen and, you know, was thinking about what I was going to do and chapters and titles and all this stuff. And just, I literally did not write one word. And I was so, um, I was so embarrassed kind of, and so ashamed that I kept talking about it and not doing it that as I wrote in the chapter, I just like, I couldn't take myself anymore. Like I was so sick of myself (laughs) (laughs) saying this over and over and being so upset and ashamed and embarrassed and not doing it and afraid that I was like, I don't care if I just scribble. I mean, I don't care if drivel comes out. I don't care if it's nonsense. At least if I write something, I can say I'm writing and then I won't be lying. You know, I won't be a fraud. I won't be saying I'm doing something that I'm not doing, which always feels terrible as human beings. So that's what I did. And I, you know, took myself, I got a burger and fries and sat with my pen and the paper and stuff came out. And I find this happens with basically no exceptions. I have yet to find an exception that when, when, when myself, I am very afraid of something. And obviously when I work with clients and people are afraid of something, if I ask them to do it anyway, I'm like, oh yeah, no, it's really scary. Yeah. I could see why that would be scary. We talk about it for a few minutes. What are you afraid of? What might happen? Okay. This and that, whatever the reasons they're all universal. And it's like, okay, well, that's normal. That's normal human stuff. We got no problem with that. And we all know how to do hard things. So let's, let's do it anyway. And just yesterday, actually, I was on a call with a client who really wanted to email her mentor about some potential work opportunities. And she hadn't seen this woman in a few years. And she felt badly that she hadn't been in touch with her. And this person was very reputable in the field. And she was just kind of making her way. And, oh, I really want to email her. And I was like, great, let's do it now. And, you know, it, it was a panic. And I was like, no, no, you're going to put the phone down and you're going to get out your laptop and you're going to draft the email and then you're going to hit send. And then you're going to pick the phone back up. We're going to keep going. And I can't do that. I don't know what to say. And it took her like, I mean, almost our whole call, but she sent the email. It was done. And of course, within 20 minutes, the woman wrote her back and they're having a meeting today and it's all great. But it's that idea of being willing to be afraid right? We're not going to not be afraid. We're human. We're not robots. So fear is part of the game. But knowing that we don't have to take it that seriously, knowing that we can do stuff that's hard. We all do hard stuff all the time. Nobody's gotten to be an adult in this world without having hard things happen, without being afraid and moving through things. So just knowing like, oh, fear is normal. I can still do the thing I'm interested in. And if I need support to do that, great. You can call a friend, call your sister, whoever, but yeah, it's like Liz Gilbert says in her book, Big Magic, right? Um, fear can have a voice, but it can't have a vote. So it's like, I'm not going to pretend I'm not afraid, but I'm also not going to do the thing that I want to do.
0: Mm-hmm. That That's really uh, great because I can, as you were describing this gal being so concerned about writing that email, I can think of things in the past where, I you know that little inner voice just talking away oh the ego kicking in oh absolutely why why I shouldn't do this or why what could happen and when you really step back and examine it, it it's it is silly it um in the scheme of life <laughs> of, of bad things that can happen usually when we're struggling with a choice like that and an action to take that's outside our comfort zone uh, it's so amazing what we do to ourselves, the pain and anguish we cause ourselves.
1: We make things seem so big and so real.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and because we live our lives through our own consciousness and our own experience, that is our reality. Like if I'm making it real, then it is in fact real to me. But again, the minute to go back to the idea of questions, it's like the minute I realize, oh, everything that's happening in my experience is a construct from me not from anybody else, not from anything else. It's just from me. So how real is that? You know, it doesn't have roots. It doesn't have legs. There's no, there's no foundation underneath it except what I give it. So if I'm like, okay, I'm really scared. I'm not going to write this email. Well then you bet I'm not. I'm like, okay, I'm really scared. I'm going to do it anyway. Well then I can, but I can be scared either way.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Being scared is not a problem to me. Being scared is totally normal. Everyday occurrence.
0: Well, I really like that you say that, and I like the idea. One of my favorite books of Steve's is called Fearless. Yeah, but he's really not advocating right, of course, being that way uh, as much as how you think about it, mm-hmm. and therefore what you end up doing as a result of it. So you don't let it paralyze you and keep you from doing and being what you right. really want to be and do. So I think that is uh, really such an important thing to think about as we look at what are we we afraid of today? You know, what are we holding ourselves back from doing because of some fear that we have running around in our heads? Um, Another Uh, one of my, oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say, and sometimes we don't even know it is fear. Right.
1: We just are not doing the thing. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. right, at least for me, and I know I recognize in other people, it's like, I think it's something else. I make myself busy. Oh, this is more important or whatever. And underneath it, it's really fear. But sometimes it takes a long time to discover that.
0: You know, that is really true because we can think, oh, I'm just being rational about this. Right. One, two, three. These are the reasons why not.
1: (laughs) And I'm right. These are good reasons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: We can really do a number on ourselves, which ties into another one of your uh, chapters that I really liked, where you make a distinction between pain and Mm. suffering. Mm. These are related to fear and and suffering we can experience as a result of what we do to ourselves there. Um, But I especially like the example you gave there. It was a story of you and your husband going to a party.
1: Mm, And so
0: would you talk a little bit about your distinction between those two words and how that plays out in life?
1: Sure. Um, Well, you know, similar to fear, pain, I think, is unavoidable as humans Um, in, in this kind of existence that we have. Pain happens all the time, basically almost every day on some level, right? I cut my finger. That's a kind of pain. Uh, my dog is sick that I've had for 15 years and I know I'm going to lose him. You know, a death of a loved one. I lose a job. Somebody says something insulting to me. It hurts my feelings. You know, I get in a fight with my husband. I feel bad about that. Right. I mean, it happens. There's so much pain. There's so many things we can look around the world. We see other people suffering right Right now, the fires in Australia or the political situation, whatever side you're on, people are, you know, in pain, they're upset, they're angry, all these things. Pain to me, again, it's like fear. There's no avoiding it. But suffering is what we do with the pain. Suffering to me, and I, I, my understanding is this is a very ancient Buddhist notion. It's obviously not my, my notion, but, but that the suffering that occurs is the very human part of the pain experience. So the pain happens. The pain is, the, is, is part of the, again, part of the game like fear is. And there's no changing the rules of the game. Pain's gonna happen. But the suffering is what we do in our mind with it. So for example, if, my, if I have to put my dog down, and that's a very painful experience, I love my dog, I've had my dog forever, this is heartbreaking to me, there's no getting away from the grief of that. The grief, normal, normal human experience. I don't want to be afraid of being human. But how I hold on to that, the thoughts that I have around the loss of my dog, that, um, that's what's going to make me suffer either a little bit or a lot, for a few days, for months, for years. What I do with my pain is what makes the suffering happen. And it only happens here. It only happens with the way I make meaning out of it, the constructs that I hold around grief and loss and change. And again, it could be a loss of a dog, it could be the loss of a job, it could be an accident that occurs, any level of thing. It all depends what I make of it. Um, One of the things one of my mentors, George Pransky, said to me, it's probably almost a year ago now, and it it really struck me, and I think it has to do with suffering, and I think about it all the time. And he said, um, there's no hierarchy of problems. A problem is a problem. For the person experiencing it, it's a problem. So whether it's, again, I cut my finger or I have to have brain surgery, somebody who has a cut finger, it might feel, oh my God, this is a big deal, depending on who that person is and what they make of it. Right? I have a client who's a, a severe hypochondriac, so a cut on the finger is a big deal. It's a big deal for her. She has to work with that. Somebody else having brain surgery is going to be chatting it up with the surgeon, you know, like, okay, see you on the other side. It just depends who the person is, right? Somebody else having brain surgery is gonna have a major existential crisis. So when George said there's no hierarchy of problems, it's like, wow, it just, um, it's really what we make of it, right? And we we know that I had an experience of being in a car accident with a friend, and it's not something I think about very often, and she was very traumatized by it. And we were in the very same accident, the very same experience, right? The, all the events that occurred were exactly the same. And to me, it was, I mean, it was an event, but it wasn't a big event. And to her, it was a big event, right? We can look all around ourselves and see it all the time. And um, it, it helps to know that the amount of my suffering is totally, totally subjective, right? Inside of me. <laughs> it's not a given, but it's not to say I'm not going to have grief. Again, I'm not going to have pain. I'm not going to have disappointment or frustration. That's going to happen. But how much it is, what I make of it, how long it lasts, how it impacts other things in my world, 100% on me,
0: hmm.
1: which is liberating I-
0: Yes, it is. And and that's why I would like you to just give a, a, a recap of the story of you and your husband at this party. Yeah, yeah. It's one of these everyday things that's not a physical type of pain, right? But it is um, something we encounter all the time,
1: right? So, uh, we were at a, uh, a party and, uh, my husband and I were new here in town in LA. So we were kind of excited to get invited to a party and meet people. Like we didn't know anybody. We were new in town. So we went to this party. Um, and it was a lot of, uh, Los Angeles kind of industry folks, which we are not. And, um, basically nobody was interested in talking to me. Um, there were a lot of women there and I was, you know, trying to you know meet people and talk and do girl talk and what are you and oh it was an oscars party actually so we're talking about dresses and you know outfits and everything else and i just over the course of like the first hour i just noticed like no one is talking to me and we're all sitting on the couch i mean it's like a small apartment and we're not in a huge ballroom and i would kind of ask a question and i'd get a curt one word answer and people would kind of turn their back and nobody was nobody would engage with me mm-hmm. <laughs> and it it, like, it was increasingly making me, like, upset and upset and upset. And I finally, you know, found my husband, and I said, I don't, you know, no one is talking to me. Nothing, this isn't, this isn't working. Like, I'm asking questions, people are ignoring me. And uh, and his encouragement to me was, was you know, to relax, basically. It was just to chill, he said. I was, I don't know, complaining about something, and he was like, which of course made me really upset because I thought he was you know, blowing me off when here I was already upset. But I realized like, oh wow, I could make meaning out of this or I could sit with my husband and like have our own experience watching this party unfold. And it was, um, it was a real shift in a moment for me of noticing like, wow, He he noticed it. I mean, he watched what was happening and he watched these women kind of, you know, blowing me off. And when I came over to him, I was like, can you believe this? And he was like, just, you know, and so he was right. And I was able to do it. Like I had this flash of anger towards him or he's being an insensitive jerk. So it got past that. And I was like, well, I don't want nobody on my side, you know? (laughs) And then we ended up, you know, we kind of started gossiping about everybody and we got in the car and we ended up having a really good laugh about it, right? It was the thing then that from being really disappointed and hurt and offended and, you know, self-righteous, my husband and I actually had a really nice experience of connection around it. So it was, um, it didn't make my disappointment any less, right? I was still very disappointed. I still had my feelings hurt. I felt insecure. All those feelings still occurred, but instead of making it about that and focusing on that for the rest of the evening or the week or whatever, like we, we, with my husband's help, right? He kind of snapped me out of it. Like it turned into something else. It's not that, oh, the women weren't being rude to me. No, they kind of were, and yeah, my feelings were hurt, but I didn't have to make it mean more than that, and I got to have this other, you know, fun experience with my husband about it, and it's actually, we still laugh about it, and we know, we still actually keep in touch with one person from that party, <laughs> which is kind of funny, and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that party, so that's, I don't know if that's the story you meant.
0: It is the one I meant, because I think, well, it just shows, again, our reactions to things. Yeah. How we respond or react in a specific situation has everything to do with whether we suffer from it or not. Uh, And it's all going on up here. Yes, there are these realities that are happening, but we have choices about what what we're going to do in that moment. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's another chapter you had that I really liked too, is this whole thing. it, It ties in with a couple, the idea of having choices, but then also being a victim or an owner, because I think they're very closely related. Yeah. And I'm just curious, how do you help a client shift when they when you can hear through their words and, and how they're describing their reactions that they're in that victim uh, place? How do right. you help them shift and recognize choices they have so they can accept more responsibility and move over to that owner position? Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think what's important, an important piece of it, and really important point that I want to say and make is that, that I think sometimes gets lost, excuse me, in this conversation, is we don't want to deny our feelings, right? Part of making those choices and, you know, this idea of positive self-talk and, and these things, it's, it's, I think sometimes it gets bastardized a little bit in terms of like, I'm going to talk myself out of feeling bad. Like I don't want to, I don't need to ever feel bad. And one, I don't think that's realistic. I think we're going to feel bad, but I also, I don't think it's helpful. I think having our feelings and being okay with having feelings, even really negative feelings, hurt feelings, sad feelings, angry feelings, whatever they are is fundamentally important to the process of moving on. You can't just deny, like there's no skipping steps. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm upset, I'm insecure, I'm disappointed, I'm afraid, whatever. That has to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the switch from owner to victim, which again is Steve Chandler's, not not mine, but I use it all the time thanks to him. Um, it's, a, it, it's a balance, right? Sometimes being in victim mode is where we need to be. Sometimes we just need to kind of sit and feel sorry for ourselves a little bit. At least I know I do sometimes, right? Sometimes is not the time to get up and go. It's like if I'm in a bad mood or something bad happened or I'm disappointed, it's like a little wallowing again is sometimes where I need to be. Like no kick in the pants is going to get me out of it. And so as a coach, I think, and even sometimes as a friend, right? It's like, it's an art, not a science is knowing when it's like, sometimes people just need to be seen and heard. And have their feelings validated and like, wow, that sounds lousy. Or like, ooh, that sounds like a hard situation. Or wow, it sounds like you're really upset about that. I get it. I'd be upset too. And then it's like, when you're ready, what are you going to do? Like, what next? Because one thing we know is that no upset lasts forever. Even if it lasts a really long time, it doesn't last forever. And this is, again, one of the beauties of the mind and our thinking is that everything's temporary up there right? Good things, bad things, everything. We can't hold on to our thoughts for very long. That's just the way the brain works. So knowing, I know when I get into big upset and I get into victim mode myself, when I do is just, if I can't kind of pick myself up and get out of it, it's like, I know, even if I do nothing, it's going to pass. It may take longer, but it's just like stormy weather. I mean, no storm lasts forever. Even if it feels like it's interminably raining for a week, like it, the blue sky is always coming back, we know that. Mm-hmm. We don't know when, but we know it's coming. So it's like I can even hold on to that if I'm just feeling feeling really lousy. And uh, for clients, in terms of you know your question of like how do you get people out of that, um, it can be challenging sometimes. It depends what people really want and how really committed they are to their story, mm-hmm. and on some level you can point that out to them like hey you know we've been in this conversation for a while um let me know when you want to have a different conversation because this one isn't going to get us where i think you want to be and where you told me you want to be but we can keep having it if you want and oftentimes you get what do you mean um and sometimes you know that's a way in um, I was just talking to to a woman earlier this week who's had a story going for, you know, a solid decade about some, you know, various wrongs that were done to her and publicly online and this and that. And uh, she's a movie person. She was quoting movies in our conversation. And I said, well, I'm going to quote a movie, which is not my strong suit. But, you know, in The Matrix, uh, Morpheus says to Neo, right, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. And so, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I know I should feel better. And I know I should do this. And I know I should write that email. And I know, I know, and I know, and I know, and I know. And it's like, well, what we know isn't really getting us anywhere. Like, that's not where stuff happens. Stuff doesn't happen a lot of the time with what we know. So, um, you know, I said to this woman, you know a lot. You're saying all the right things. And yet, you haven't done any of them. And she was a little wounded, honestly. But again, as a coach, um, that's okay with me, right? It's not my job for people to like me all the time. Obviously, I don't want to intentionally upset people, but I do want to point out, right, what, what they're doing. I want to hold up a mirror and have them really see, like, this is what's happening. Is this okay with you? Because if it's okay with you, it's okay with me. I'm along for the ride as your coach. But if it's not okay with you, then we'd have to change something. You'd have to be willing to change something, even if it's the littlest thing it can it can start moving us in the right direction and that idea of you know knowing the path and walking the path and she's like no no i am walking the path and so i pointed out to her some ways where she really wasn't you're like no no you're saying it you're talking about it mm-hmm. but you're still holding on to the story because look what we're talking about we're we're still talking about it so uh i don't have a report yet we'll see what happens with her <laughs> But you know it happens to me too. I mean, I'm the same, right? Just because I'm a coach, and just because I work with people on this doesn't mean it doesn't happen to me. It happens to me too. And sometimes I can pick myself up out of it, and sometimes I need a coach or my husband or a friend, and you know we all have our tools and our people we turn to.
0: Mm-hmm. well, I, I like that story because it shows how um, crippling some of these thoughts are that that can go on for years and years and years, oh and I know. People myself, that you know, every time I talk to them, it's a similar thing as what was said before, and it's this woe is me sort of thing, and they just don't realize the choices that they have. So, I like the approach you uh, took with that particular person, and probably with some of your other clients, where you know, asking questions and just holding up the mirror. So they see, oh gosh, do I look like that? It's sort of yeah. like when we've gained weight and we look in the mirror and go, man, <laughs> I didn't think I looked like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so to me, that's the beauty of having a coach is someone who can hold up and show you things you can't see for yourself. Yeah. So yeah. I really. And it's
1: important like to, to really do that. I, I have a firm belief and and for me it's really more of a belief it's a it's a knowledge it's a knowing that I think anyone's capable of anything whether they're they're willing to do it I have no idea right so when people want to hire me and people want to work with me as a coach you know do you think I can do this do you think I can do this I'll say I'm certain you can do anything but I have no idea if you're going to and again even that distinction for somebody to hear that is like huh well, what, you know, what do you mean? It's like, well, you know, humans are capable of anything. I mean, look at the amazing things we do. And we can do anything. You wanna start a business or find a spouse or start an orphanage or make a company. Like, uh, yeah, you can, people do it all the time. If you're going to, well, that's up for debate. That's what we're gonna find out. If you're actually going to do the steps that you would need to do to achieve that goal, We'll have to see, and it's not on me, it's on you. It's also okay with me if you don't do it, right? I'm not here to judge, but if you tell me that's what you wanna do, then I'm gonna keep pointing out to you how you're not doing it. And then if you decide you wanna keep doing it, we'll keep doing it. -hmm. We get there, or not, or you can change your mindset, actually, I don't wanna do it. Okay, okay, that's up to you.
0: And so, yeah, sometimes that helps you get clarity about what you do want. Because right. we can get in our minds based on what we think other people want of us yeah. or, or, you know, those shoulds we put on ourselves. And when we strip that away, what's there that really does drive our passion and our wants and, and where we'd like to actually go? Yeah. And
1: sometimes it's not even our voice, right? It might be our parents' voice mm-hmm. or a teacher's voice or a mentor's voice or society's voice or even an older version of ourselves. An old voice, even if it's our own. Oh, I've always wanted to write a book. Well, okay, I've always wanted since college, but now I'm 50. Maybe I don't have any desire to write a book anymore. Like, that doesn't mean it's a failure. It just means I don't want to do that anymore. But understanding, like, what's real today? Like, what's actually happening now? For in reality, like, we can sort things out. We got to be in whatever reality is happening for ourselves in any moment. That's where the juice is.
0: Yes. Uh, so another one of my very favorite topics was around slowing down mm. because I have been, uh, and, and there was another chapter there on busyness, but the yeah. slowing down, just the way you wrote about that, it, it resonated with me because I'm one to, you know, move fast, whatever it is I'm doing, don't let any dust settle <laughs> behind me. So talk a little bit about why what does it mean, first of all, to slow yeah. down? Yeah. And why is that important?
1: Yeah. I appreciate you asking the question because I, I think there are some misconceptions around slowing down because so many of us in just you know Western society right now are just so busy. There's so much to do, work, life, children, bills, hobbies, travel. I mean, there's just, the world is so amazing. There's so much out there. Um, we get really busy and to think of slowing down means like we're going to miss stuff or we don't get to do things um, or it's not going to work out or people will think we're lazy or who knows, right? There's so many things. Um, Slowing down to me is not about in many ways the actual physicalness of slowing down, though I think I wrote in the book and we were laughing earlier about how I, I'm prone to rushing physically in my world and I bang into things and you know I just know when I end up with bruises on my leg, right? I've been hurrying too much, I'm going <laughs> And I will literally often like stop physically and say, slow down, Rachel. Like I I do that, you know, maybe once a week even to this day. Um, but really the importance of slowing down is in our minds. And I think it, I think it was George Pransky also, I mentioned him earlier, but who has this metaphor of driving on the freeway. And it's like, if you are, you know, driving hundred miles an hour, you're going to miss your exit and you're way more likely to get in an accident. But if you're going the speed limit, if you're going 55 or 60, you can change lanes safely. You're definitely going to get there. You're going to make your exit. It's going to be safe. Like that's where you want to be. And I think that, For me, I can say, and I know working with clients, we talk about this a lot, is that the speed of our minds and the amount of stimulation that we're all receiving now with dings and beeps and emails and, you know, social media and phones and computers and CNN. I mean, I don't know if you, I hardly watch TV at all and certainly not the news because it's upsetting, but the number of things on the screen, if you turn on any news program, it doesn't matter. There's a ticker, there's a this, there's a headline, there's the top. It's like, oh my gosh, my head's going to blow off. It's no wonder we're all worked up. Um, So one of the things that I have been coming into a greater and greater understanding and a deeper understanding of is this idea of how our mind really works. And when our mind is going, my mind or anybody's mind, really fast, trying to process a thousand things and doing lots of tasks and problem solving and directions and plans and everything else, we are not in our most um, creative, kind of intuitive, interesting place. We're very task focused, we're very detail focused. Um, That can be useful, those are good tools to have, they're good skills to have, depending on what we're working on in our day. But for um, general peacefulness, which is something I'm really after, like I'm not, this is just my personal um, kind of value system, Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, talk about happiness. Are you happy? Happy to me is a little less important than being peaceful, being calm. That's a feeling I really enjoy. Not normal for me. Kind of my default is not peaceful. So for me, peacefulness is an intention all the time. Um, I can't be peaceful when I'm going fast, either physically fast or in my mind fast, doing a ton of things. That's not peaceful. I get revved up, right? I feel like, I've had it like a buzz in my body um, and I know it, I know like, oh yeah, this isn't my best self. I'm much more likely to react in a way I don't like, angry or short tempered or snap or something if something doesn't quite go my way when I'm in that state of mind. And if I'm not, um, if I'm working on something that's I'm like struggling with or trying to figure something out, again, if I'm going fast, I can't be creative. I don't have my best ideas. I'm not my best problem solver. I want to be when I'm kind of in my world in general day to day, the slower I am, which is not to say I'm not doing things, I do a lot, but the slower I'm going and being in any one given moment at a time, um, I'm just way more effective at doing the thing I want to do. Even if the thing I want to do is sit and read a book for an hour and just relax. Like even doing that, but doing that slowly and get my cup of tea and sit here and actually pull the curtains so the sun's not in my eyes and like be mindful and sit and do that. I mean, I can read a book fast or I can read a book slow. I'm still taking the hour to read my book, but if I'm this and my foot's going and it's like, it's not there. So this idea of slowing down, I think, I think it's, um, I think it's a, a really needed thing in the world today because people, I think, take pride in being fast, right? in multitasking and doing a thousand things. And I'm so busy and I have phones and this and that and like, oh, I can't schedule something for three weeks. And it's, um, I don't know in my, ex- it's not that I don't know. I do know in my experience. And when I work with people, when we start to break that down, like, what do you really want to be busy with? Like, how, why are you going so fast? Like, are you even focused on our conversation? Because I can hear people, things buzzing or people typing when we're talking. It's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the more we slow down, which also happens with questions, right? You got to slow people's thinking down. They think they know, they think they have the answer, or they think they don't know, or I'm attached to being afraid or whatever it is. It's like you slow people down and it's amazing the answers people come up with. It's amazing the ideas people come up with when you just pause them for a minute, right? We get going, we get talking. I had this conversation this week. I don't know what to do about this and I don't know what to do about that. And she was on and on about how she didn't know. And I said, well, just hold on a second, hold on a second. I said, I understand you don't know, but let's just take a pause for a minute. If you did know, what would it be? She had a million ideas. She had a million ideas. I didn't say a word. I was like, no, I understand you don't know. sounds like you really don't know. But if you did know, like if you had to know, what would you guess? She answered her own question instantly. She was going so fast about how she didn't know, and she didn't know, and this and that, and da, 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 da. So this idea of understanding that our best mind, like this is a powerful machine up here, and the more space we give it, the more time there is in between thoughts, in between tasks, in between activities. And sometimes it might just be a moment, right? I'm not saying sit around for hours, that's not practical. But even if it's a moment, even if it's a go get a cup of tea, which takes what, a couple minutes to boil the water, that's it. It's like, that might be enough space. Steve Chandler has a great thing. I mean, he's been saying for years, right? Empty out your desk, get a piece of white paper, no lines even, and one pen, see what you get. Do you have an idea? If you have a challenge if you have a problem you can't solve something you're not sure what to do like get out a blank sheet of paper it will never stay blank ever like something happens when we give ourselves the time and the space and we give ourselves really the permission to slow down and take a moment Mm -hmm. and if we understand um Deepak Chopra has this idea about meditation right our thoughts happen in sequence in our brain just that's the way the neurotransmitters fire they happen in sequence And so when things happen in sequence, there has to be an end of one and a start of one, even if it's a fraction of a fraction of a millisecond, they're not overlapping. And so he has this whole workshop he does, which is brilliant, about the idea of infinite possibilities, because at the end of one, before the next one happens, anything is possible in that tiny space, right? We never know what next thought we're going to have. And so the more we cultivate that tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of a second and longer and longer in between, amazing things happen. Things we can't, we couldn't think of, right? We don't know what we don't know. New ideas, creativity, energy, whatever it might be can happen in that moment, but it doesn't happen fast. It doesn't happen fast.
0: Yeah, that's that's really profound because we lose sight of that when we're so busy, busy, busy and the the whole idea of moving in a calm relaxed manner which is what i say to myself a lot of times i want to move with speed to get things done but not hurry you okay. know i want to um have a sense of um being productive when i'm focused on my work so that i am producing what i want to produce right. but i don't feel Stressed about it. I'm, and that's why I have the calm, relaxed manner, right. which is uh, sort of like what you were saying earlier, not my natural state. <laughs> right. But learning how to be in that place so that those creative ideas can come in. Yeah. Uh, because when right. we're feeling overwhelmed or stressed, that's not possible.
1: Right. And creating what's optimal working. circumstances for that. Whatever that is, it's going to be different for you, for me. Right. And then also when I am revved up, which I get, of course, don't try and do that thing, right? If it's a creative thing or a big problem, like that's not the time to tackle that, right? Notice that and realize like, whoa, I'm revved up. Let me just do a different task for the dishes or laundry or something that's more meaningless and like tackling this thing. Like it's not going to go well. Yeah, I know that.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, Rachel, we could talk for a long. I know this is so fun. I love this conversation. It's it's so fun, and uh, you've just provided so much insight. We may have to schedule another one down the road because I know there are other things that you've got so much um, experience and wisdom around. Uh, I thank you though for what you've brought today. It's all been wonderful, and I know Mm -hmm. that no matter what kind of work or life my listeners have, there's a lot of benefit from the things you've been sharing today. So I want to thank you for that.
1: Well, you're very welcome. I certainly, I certainly hope so. It's, I love having these kinds of of dialogues and conversations.
0: Well, I know that some of my listeners are going to want to get more of you and know more about you. And I know you're one of the rare folks who is not on social media. (laughs) So um, would you share your email address? If someone wanted to contact you, they could.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, anyone from your world would be welcome to reach out to me. So my email address is just my name at Gmail. So it's Rachel Ann Langer, which is R-A-C-H-E-L, A-N-N, L-A-N-G-E-R, at gmail.com. And there's no periods or hyphens or anything, just Rachel Ann Langer. Okay,
0: great. And we will put that on the um show notes page if great. that's okay with you for your episode. So people that um want to. Click and contact, you can do that. Wonderful. Thank Thank you you. again, Rachel. You are such a gift to me, my listeners, and all the people that you serve.
1: Thank you. And I just so appreciate you and everything you're doing also with this podcast and with your work. Obviously, we are pulling in the same direction.
0: So I appreciate that. Great. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The 5 Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.